Don't you love to receive a gift? Whether it's unwrapped or wrapped, whether it's expected or unexpected, there's something about a gift that makes us all, no matter our age, feel like a kid at Christmas time. Once upon a time, when I was a child, and our family had a tradition that on Christmas Eve, we could open one gift from another family member. All the other gifts came on Christmas Day, but one gift from another family member. I had one picked out under the tree. It was a smallish sort of gift, about the size of one and a half decks of cards, and it was from my great-aunt Catherine. Now, my great-aunt Catherine had come over from Germany on a boat when she was a child, and she had this proper German manner about her, always wore a dress, always had her hair fixed, and um, always had a candy dish in her living room with candy in it that she'd let us kids get some, but not too much. And I loved Aunt Catherine. She was like, oh. And I figured, Aunt Catherine had to have given me a great gift. I'm going to open this gift. So sure enough, Christmas Eve, it was time to open the gifts. I ripped it open. It was a male grooming kit. In the male grooming kit, kind of a vinyl little folder thingy that you opened up with a snap on it that went around, there were not one, but two pairs of fingernail clippers, the big kind for your toes and the little kind for your fingers. There was an emery board. I had never used an emery board in my life. There was a cuticle trimmer. I didn't know what cuticles were. And there was a super big flat kind of hairbrush thing. I was like, I don't think that will even work on my hair. I was nine years old. Thanks, Aunt Catherine, for the gift. Not all gifts are received the same way, but... There's still something about receiving a gift. And we come to our passage of Acts today, and I'll ask you to join me if you haven't turned already to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We have this sermon entitled, Receive, as we continue our sermon series, The Spirit, the Church, and the World. God sends the Holy Spirit to establish the church in order to spread His message to the world, and we continue that even today. Now, not unlike many of our passages in Acts here, this one presents us a few conundrums, a couple things along the way where we go, hmm, why did God do it that way? And is this normal or is this abnormal? Is this typical or atypical? Is this normative or exceptional? We'll find that out as we go along the way today. But if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand together as we read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. We're reading from the New International Version 84. And Saul was there giving approval to his death, the stoning of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly man buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. 
Now, for some time, a man named Simon, who had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria, he boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said will happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. May God add to the reading of his word, you may be seated. Thank you. Our scripture memory verse for the month comes from our passage of scripture today, and that's Acts chapter 8, verse 4. And though our sermon is entitled, Receive, as we receive the Holy Spirit, and He enables us and fills us to share the gospel for the glory of God, we're reminded that our duty as believers in Jesus is to share the gospel. It's who we are. It's what we should do. And so let's say this together. Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 8, 4. We receive the Holy Spirit in order that we might share Jesus to bring glory to God. We've got six points on our outline that we'll move through today, and the first one is this, persecution. Persecution of the Jerusalem church. Now, if you haven't already and you have Uversion on your phone or your tablet and the Uversion app, there's an events in the lower right. You can click there and find all these notes there or on the back of your bulletin. But Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 We see Saul was there at Stephen's stoning, and then we move on immediately to Philip, and Philip taking the lead role here for this Acts chapter 8 in two different stories, this one this week and next week as he meets with the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says a great persecution broke out. The devil had tried both inside the church and outside the church to stop the spread of the gospel again. And here the devil is trying one more thing, and Saul was a key player in that. Now, Saul, we know, if you read forward or you know your Bible history, Acts chapter 9, is converted and eventually becomes Paul, the great missionary who wrote 13 of our books in the New Testament, but not yet. What does it say there in verse 2? Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. He was a man full of grace and faith in the Spirit, and he was missed. But verse 3, 
Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Everyone except the apostles, verse 1 said, scattered. Persecution began. Destroying is a strong word of what Saul was doing. But we have this question for us, and that first application question on our outline is, how would I respond to such treatment? If in our country, or if in the place you live, as a believer of Jesus, someone comes to your house and wants to drag you off and throw you in prison, or they drag off and throw in prison your pastors, your deacons, your friends, fellow believers in Jesus, how would you respond? Fear? Sadness? Anger? Protest? I mean, what could you do? What if it was the government taking off Christians? You couldn't appeal to the government because they're against Christianity. We start today with persecution. And as terrible as this persecution is, God used it for His glory. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose, Philippians 2.13 says. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for, uh, uh, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, even terrible things like persecution. And in this persecution, we see God used to begin to scatter believers and share the gospel message. So even though it's terrible, God used it for good. Let's move on to the second point on your outline. The second point on your outline is proclamation. Proclamation of the gospel in Samaria by Philip. So the church up until this point was all in Jerusalem. Those that were there when the Holy Spirit came went back, but the church that we're following in the book of Acts, the church, is Jerusalem. But because of the persecution that Saul was leading, the church and believers scatter throughout Judea, so that whole region or province, and even in Samaria. They scattered. And verse 4 says, wherever they went, they preached. They shared the good news. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that in our hearts we're to have Christ as Lord and as holy and be ready to give a defense of Him to anyone who asks you at any time for the reason of the hope within us. So we know as believers in Jesus, we should be willing, we should be able to share a gospel testimony. And as they went, they shared. Philip went to Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Verse 6, it says, crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did. They paid close attention to all he said. And notice then verse 7 talks about the miraculous signs. Evil spirits being cast out, paralytics and cripples healed. And then result in verse 8, that there was great joy in that city. Now, remember, it is not normative today for such healing campaigns to take place. Even though there are some denominations that teach that, we don't see that as normal. But in this apostolic era, God used the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit upon some in order to gain a hearing for the gospel. And that's what we see happening here. Simon was preaching with authority. People were listening to Simon. Yet, it was his miracles that attracted others and demonstrated the power of the God that he was preaching about. This proclamation of the gospel made a difference in the lives of these people, and there was great joy in that city. Our second question asks us, how do I share Jesus regularly? We've not been dispersed, we've not been persecuted like this, but we have an opportunity to share Jesus in our lives. 
You're not a missionary like Philip or necessarily gone off to a different place, but in your life, your work, your neighborhood, your family, you are a witness. I remember a missionary friend of mine, Miss Amy, and she was from L.A., not Los Angeles, lower Alabama. And Miss Amy said, I'm convinced that if they could see the Jesus I know, they'd accept him. What a beautiful picture. Amy knew Jesus so well, and she made it her mission in life to share that Jesus with others in order that they might accept him. If they could just see the Jesus I know. She got my attention when she said that, but she begged a couple questions for me. What Jesus do I know? Is it the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of my own creation? So we got to ask, in our life, what Jesus do people see or they cannot see a Jesus? They see too much of me and too little of Jesus. John the Baptist said of Jesus that he must increase and I must decrease. That's John 3.30. So we've got to ask, does our carelessness damage Jesus' perfection? Does our pride obstruct Jesus' humility? Does our judgment destroy Jesus' grace? Does our anger erode Jesus' love? What about you, my friend? What sort of Jesus do they see in you? I hold a mirror up and ask myself, what sort of Jesus do they see in me? We receive the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we might share the gospel to lead folks to a saving relationship with Jesus. We've had persecution. We've had proclamation. That's number three, salvation. Salvation of Simon the magician. Well, it was more than just Simon, but Simon's where the story focuses here as we go on in verse 9. Now, there's a description of Simon through verses 9 through 12. He's known as Simon Magus, M-A-G-U-S, like Latin for magician, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer. We're just going to call him Simon, right? Simon was a guy that somehow had some ability or power. If it's not from God, it must be demonic, or he was just a, a great showman and a shyster and a trickster or something like that, a magician that was doing sleight of hand. I don't know. But people in the city that they lived in and in the region of Samaria even called him the great because of all the things he could do. You get a little bit of an idea like the Wizard of Oz, right? That he's just a regular guy with some smoke and mirrors that everybody thinks is a great guy. And Simon knows who he is. And it begs that question there, and our third question, what was I like when Jesus saved me? Because what we see in this exchange is where Simon was at, but what he becomes even as it goes on. So I don't think any of us were sorcerers or magicians when we were saved. You might have been a kid. Maybe you were just a normal kid. You weren't too selfish. You weren't too mean. But you knew that Jesus loved you and you trusted him as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you were a teenager and you're trying to figure out life, but you looked at the Christ of the Bible and you said, this is who I need to serve. This will help define my life because I see value there. I know grace there and love there and acceptance. Maybe you came to faith in Christ as an adult. You'd lived life enough that you'd got some knocks. And people had treated you poorly and you had treated others poorly, but eventually you humbled yourself and you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. I mean, what's your story? All of us can tell that story if you just answer four questions, right? What was my life like before Christ? How did I know? 
that I needed to become a Christian? How did I become a Christian? What's my life been like since Christ? You can answer each of those four questions with a sentence or two. You've got a very simple testimony that you can share with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And you too can trust Jesus as your Savior. And if you're here today listening to me or if you're online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can do that. The gospel is Jesus saves sinners and that all of us are sinners and we need Jesus to save us from the eternal damnation and punishment of our sins, but also to give us the glory of eternal life and abundant life here on earth. Which leads to our fourth point on your outline today. That fourth point is inclusion. Inclusion. The inclusion of the Samaritans into the church because something unique happened here. This is one of those things that is not typical or not normal because it's happening in the gospel or the book of Acts, and we're going to explain it as we go. But notice what verse 14 says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, we've got to understand who the Samaritans were. Going back a thousand years from the time that this is happening right here, the nation of Israel divided into a lower kingdom, a southern kingdom, Judah, that was made up of Judah and Benjamin, and the other ten tribes to the north, and they made their own capital in Samaria. Then, when they were carried off into captivity, some bad guys resettled other people there, and the Samaritans intermarried and became this race, at least the Jews thought, of half-breeds and mongrels. And they didn't have the right kind of religion, they didn't have the right kind of race, and Jews were taught you know, pray to God that, well, Jewish men were taught, pray to God and thank God that you're not a dog, you're not a woman, and you're not a Samaritan. That was the view of Jewish men in the time before Jesus. That wasn't Jesus's view. So Samaritans were looked down upon. They were despised. So when Philip goes and preaches the gospel, and that news comes back to the church and the apostles in Jerusalem, they say, we've got to go find out about this. It's not that they doubted it. It's not that they felt they had to give their endorsement, but they went on an expedition. Again, this is something that didn't necessarily happen in other places that trusted Jesus as their Savior when the gospel came and a new church was started, as you read on in the book of Acts. But this was different because this was the Samaritans. And this was not only the Samaritans, but the first step of the Jerusalem church outside of Jerusalem. Verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. What we see through the rest of the New Testament, what you and I have experienced in our life, is at the time of salvation, the time we are converted, it's then we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some churches, some denominations, Pentecostals and some Charismatics that teach that the filling of the Holy Spirit comes later with the laying on of hands and the praying for you. But you do not see that anywhere else in the New Testament other than this. When we have a problem with Scripture, the first place we turn is Scripture. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. Anytime you take one Scripture and say, hey, this is what I'm going to build my theology on, you're in heresy, I almost guarantee you. I guarantee you, you're going to be in heresy. No, almost about it. You've got to look at all of Scripture. So when we look at all of the book of Acts and how people received Christ and received the Holy Spirit at the same time, we see that this was different, and it was different for a reason. Let's go on. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, they'd simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Ah, 
So those that argue it say, well, verse 14, they just accepted the Word of God. Verse 16, they just been baptized into the name of Jesus. They weren't saved is what some say. I disagree with that. I believe they were saved, but there was a special reason. Verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The reason I use the word inclusion for this point They didn't receive the Holy Spirit yet because it was to teach the apostles, Peter and John, as the chief apostles, a lesson. You guys see that they're saved and you see that in them. But we want you to lay hands on them, to pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit just like you have in order that you, apostles, Peter and John, and all the rest of the apostles, would know that these people, Samaritans, a hated race by you, are also filled with the Holy Spirit, fully endorsed as believers of Jesus included, that the gospel can go to all peoples, even the Samaritans. Now we switch over to Simon again here in verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit had given the uh, the laying on of hands, he offered the apostles money. He said, can't you give me this ability? And then what we find is that Peter upbraids him. We need to come back for our question on inclusion, and that is the fourth question on your outline. How did I receive the Holy Spirit? In your case, you received the Holy Spirit when you were converted. At the time of conversion, Jesus said in John 14, verse 16 and 17, I'll ask the Father and He'll give you an advocate. It'll be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In John 16, Jesus says, the Spirit of truth, He'll come and He'll guide you into all truth. He'll speak not on His own. He'll speak only what He hears and tell you what is yet to come. He'll glorify me. These things that the Holy Spirit does and who He is, they come on us at the time of conversion. But this is different because the Samaritans had to know they were fully included. The apostles had to know the Samaritans were fully included. And this was the first step of the gospel outside of Jerusalem in another nation, another place, everybody had to see it. That's why it's different. Now let me move us to our fifth point. That's correction. The correction of Simon. The correction of Simon by Peter. Well, Simon saw this, verse 18. He says, I want the ability to lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, may your money perish with you. You can't buy this. It's a gift of God. Peter's pretty straightforward. I shouldn't say he's pretty straightforward. He's brutally honest. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to God. For I see you as full of bitterness and captive to sin. There's some that say Simon was not saved. Well, right up the page, it pretty much says he was saved, right? It said that he too It asked Jesus to save him. He believed in Jesus as his Savior. So you have got a couple explanations. Either Simon wasn't saved, therefore he thought he could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, bro, you can't buy it. Or the other explanation is Simon is saved, but he's only been saved for a short amount of time. Just got the Holy Spirit when the hands were laid on him. The Holy Spirit hadn't had the ability to sanctify him, to make him more like Jesus, for him to grow in Christ over time, for him to realize you can't buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think it's the latter. I think Simon was just being Simon. 
And even though he was saved, and even though he did have the Holy Spirit in him, this is the way his world worked. You saw something you wanted, you went and took it. You couldn't take it, you bought it. If they didn't want to give it for you for that price, you gave him a higher price. That's who he was. And look at verse 23. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter said to him, but verse 24, Simon responds with humility. He says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He didn't respond with arrogance or hubris. He didn't respond with pride. He responded humbly. He realized what he did was wrong. Which leads to our fifth question. When have I tried to misuse God's blessings? The Holy Spirit is the single greatest blessing of God that we have as believers in Jesus on this earth. Our salvation is a great gift, but the Spirit is the working out of that gift in us that guides us and leads us and convicts us and encourages us and all those things that the Holy Spirit does. But when have I tried to misuse God's blessings, whether the Holy Spirit in my life, my talents, my abilities, the blessings God has given me, the finances He's given me, but I've used them for me, not God's kingdom. All of us have done it. We're human. We are redeemed. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, yet we still struggle with sin. And as long as there is the presence of sin and the temptation of sin, we will sin. And we have to remind ourselves, I'm redeemed, and because I'm redeemed, and I have the Holy Spirit in me, and Jesus must increase in my life, and I must decrease in my life, in order that I day by day become more and more like Jesus in that process of life called sanctification that I am a growing Christ follower. So we have our sixth and final point there. The continuation of the apostles' ministry. The continuation of the apostles' ministry. Philip had gone to Samaria. He preached. He did miracles. People were saved. Even Simon the sorcerer. The apostles in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to confirm this, endorse this, lay hands on and pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And the church in Samaria did. And they demonstrated the inclusion that all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what language we speak, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, are all one in the church of Jesus Christ. And now the continuation of the apostles' ministry, verse 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. They didn't preach the gospel on the way, but when they had the experience there, they preached the gospel on the way home. I think they were changed. They saw that they needed to be a part of reaching out to others, even those that they previously, as Jewish persons, would have hated and despised. Which leads to our final question, bringing us back around. And that's how do I share Jesus as I go? We've all received the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Spirit in order to fill us so that we can share Jesus anytime in order to bring glory to God. I know not every situation seems to be just right. But as we walk with Jesus day in, day out, as growing Christ followers, We become more like him and his words should come out of our lips just as his actions come from our hands. His thoughts are in our mind. His love is in our heart. And we can't 
help but be like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we're so very humbled to have your word to teach us. Again today, as we've opened the book of Acts and we look back in church history and the founding of the church, and to see what you did there that was unique in the way the Samaritans trusted Christ and Receive the Holy Spirit later in order to teach them and to teach the apostles. God, we thank you that all of us receive the Holy Spirit when we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And we pray that we would allow the Spirit to continue to grow Christ within us. That growing Christ followers would be who we are and what we do as we seek to be a part of the growing of others. So, Father, now our prayer is for those who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that someone would make that decision today. Father, our prayer is for those of us that are Christ followers. We need to surrender something, confess something, start a new habit, get some new accountability in order that we might be more like Jesus. God, thank you for your presence here with us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.